welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Good morning. Um, we are uh, in a kind of a short but important series for us, uh, reflecting on, on, on worship under the title of Pursuit. And, and uh, I, I love that title because it invites us to just the reflection of the fact that what we pursue shapes uh, who we are. Jesus is clear where your treasure is, there's your heart, right? What the focus of your mind, the focus of your life, uh, things attach or detach from you based on that pursuit. If you've made uh, education a pursuit, if you've made a relationship a pursuit, if you've made um, financial uh, sustainability a pursuit, right? Whatever it is you set your heart on, your mind on, uh, things come and go based on that, that outcome. So what does it look like for us to pursue God? What comes and goes? What gets added? What gets left in the dust as we set our heart on a wholehearted pursuit of God in Christ, uh, in worship particularly? Um, and so that's, that's what we're looking at, and we're framing everything around the ideas uh, set in uh, Romans chapter 12, and particularly verse 1, as the launching pad for a reflection on this important topic of, of worship. And so today I'm looking particularly at, the, at one of the phrases in verse 1 of chapter 12, the book of Romans. And so the text in context looks like this. Therefore I beg you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, so this morning, I'm just going to focus on kind of that second and third line to offer our bodies. What does it mean to be an embodied worshiper? What does it mean to receive the gift of our physical being and then offer that up as a sacrifice? That's going to be the focus. Darren's uh, going to come back and talk about the idea of sacrifice uh, probably next week. But this morning I want to just focus on what does it mean to offer, to present, to give our body as sacrifice? Um, so it's important, first of all, to set the frame on this. Paul um, orients us to this invitation by reminding us that Jesus is not asking us to do anything he has not already done for us. He says on the basis of God's mercies and uh, in the structure of the book of Romans that takes us right back to the tail end of chapter 8 in the, and then the tail end of chapter uh, 11 where each of those ends with this uh, celebration of the love of God that, uh, uh, from which nothing can separate us. And then from there we leapfrog over to chapter 12 that says, now on the basis of everything God has done for you, on the basis of this love that you cannot escape, that nothing will bar you from, uh, 
I want you to, I want you to surrender your whole lives to him. I want you to surrender your whole bodies to him. So Paul says, Jesus, in, in, in essence, says, Jesus has offered you a dying sacrifice with his body. And so invites you to offer a living sacrifice with your body. So there's this incarnational, invitational uh, journey. Um, in, in order to, to kind of get our heads around this, I need to talk a little bit about body. Uh, it is not something for whatever reason that we talk a whole lot about. Uh, but when he says, offer our bodies, he means this. And it's important that we, we kind of recognize that from God's perspective, uh, body matters. It's not incidental. It's not a problem. It's not the problem. It's in fact the platform. The only place you will ever meet God is in your body. Right? He, you're not in disembodied spiritual, having spiritual experiences. You are a soul which requires that you have body. You're not a body, but you have one. You're not a spirit, but you have one. What you are is the combination, Genesis chapter 2, we've talked about this a number of times, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that says, God took the dust of the earth, breathed into it the breath of life, and the outcome of those two components is a soul. That's what we are. So we have bodies, but we're not bodies. We have spirits, but we're not spirits. We are souls. Ideally suited to live in that thin space between the material world and the spiritual world, occupying our unique place in creation as the image of God, representing God to the planet and representing the planet to God. So we live in that thin space, and, and, and our, our body is a critical component of our identity as souls. So again, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You catch the distinction there. It's really important. And in order for you to be the soul you are, your body, this physical body, matters. And this is so critical for us to understand because if we don't treasure the gift God has given us in our body, we are much less likely to offer it up as sacrifice to him. We will apologize for it. We will asterisk it. We will set it aside. We will dismiss it. We will disregard it. We will mistreat it. But we won't offer it up. We won't honor it. We won't love it. And instead it becomes a burden rather than the platform of transformation. Does that make sense? And the reason I want to sit with this uh, for a minute, because this body is the primary uh, I.O. system of the soul, right? It's, the, it's how we apprehend beauty. It's how we engage in social relationships. It's how we experience the wonder of creation. Yeah? How many are grateful uh, for your eyesight? That's body. Say thank you. Thank you. Right? How many, how many of you are grateful for texture? Right? Say thank you. That's body. Right? How many of you are grateful, let's have a moment, of, for taste? <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's just like, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I grew up in southern Alberta, which was like middle European, so it was meat and potatoes. And, and, and spice was salt. 
That, that was it. Greater or lesser degrees of salt and okay, pepper, right? Uh, my dad had one five-ounce bottle of Tabasco. That was it. And two drops in tomato juice. That was it. That, that was, and, and then it was, whoa, we're pulling out the stops here, you know, right? And then I come down here and I discovered that there are ranges of Mexican food. And in fact, Mexican isn't even the right, it depends. Is it Indian influenced? Is it, is it, is it, is it, uh, uh, and then I go, go down the, down the, down the continent and there's, there's Peruvian, right? And then uh, uh, Cuban, oh, oh, Jesus, right? And, 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 and then uh, we'll just have a moment now. Okay. And then, and then, did you know that you can do all kinds of wonderful things with cilantro? I didn't know this. And then I discovered Bon Mi. Huh? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. All right. Oh, Lord Jesus. Right? So, so, so why, why now say thank you? That's the gift. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. There is more than one blue. There's more. Isn't it, aren't you glad for a God who created green? We don't have much of it around here, but, but in other parts of the world, they have green, actually green, that grows out of the ground. I don't understand how that works. Silly. Why are we so appreciative of the wonder of creation out there, but not the mechanism by which God built us to appreciate it? The reason I want to sit with this is that um, uh, if we don't have a valuing of the things that God values, we will not offer the sacrifice that God asks us to offer. We will apologize for it, we will dismiss it, we will disregard it, we'll abuse it, we'll treat it poorly. And that's in fact what we do. And now, and for many of us, we have been raised in a spirituality that denigrates the body and says it's worthless and meaningless and needs to be overcome. Not true. We'll talk about the distinction between the flesh and the body in a minute. The reason, I, again, I want to sit with this is um, I, I spent a lot of time walking with men and women uh, in soul care, in pastoral care. And so when I've walked with somebody for a little bit, uh, we've now got kind of a code language that we use. And I'll ask them, I'll ask the women that I walk with, how are you doing at being beautiful? And I'll ask the men that I work with, how are you doing at being good? Those two words are chosen deliberately. They come out of Genesis chapter 1, where at the end of each creative day, God says of his creation, it is good. Same Hebrew word for beauty as for good. And what it means, beauty and good, is it works. Its form and its function are ideally suited to the purpose for which I designed it. God looks back at your body and smiles with gratitude. So the, so the soul then is comprised of five dimensions. We've talked about this before. I'm going to move through this fairly quickly. But uh, social, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and physical. All five dimensions are part of what I mean then when I ask somebody, how are you doing at being beautiful? How are you doing it being good? Look in the five-dimensional mirror and tell me 
Are you seeing who is actually there and are you receiving the gift of that person with gratitude? Are you saying yes and thank you to the gift of your spirit? Are you saying yes and thank you for the gift of your heart, your emotional sensibilities? Are you saying yes and thank you for your mind and your capacity to process information? Are you saying yes and thank you for your social affect and presence and friendships and capacity for relationships? And inevitably, especially with women, 50% of the men, 75 to 85% of the women I ask, how are you doing at being beautiful, saying yes and thank you to the gift of your body? The answer is no. I asterisk it. If I were this, I would be beautiful. If I looked like that, I would be beautiful or good. I could accept myself more if. I need you to understand that what is happening there is pride. Pride is at root disagreeing with God about what is true. Usually we think of pride as thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and it is. But Paul suggests that pride is also thinking more lowly of ourselves than we ought to think, of dismissing what God has blessed, of frowning when God has smiled, of saying no when God has said yes. And the outcome of this is a strange conundrum, isn't it? So I'll, I'll, I'll walk with folks, well, what, what, where do you asterisk? Where, where, do you, where do you dismiss? Where do you set aside? And inevitably, especially when it comes to body, although I'm, I'm finding a lot of people dismiss their intellect, the, the, the way that they think, and so on and so forth. They, but specifically, we're talking about body now, physical body, where that often gets dismissed is, I wish I were more of this or less of this. I wish I were taller or shorter. I wish my hair, my eyes, my, my body of one form or another were different. Do you realize what you're saying? The only way I can be beautiful is to be somebody else. Paul says, don't be conformed. You can't do beauty by comparison. You can't do, let me say it again, beauty, goodness, by comparison. If you want to gain weight or lose weight, if you want to work on physical health and so on and so forth, fine, but don't do it so that you will be beautiful. Do it because you are. You feel the difference. When God has said yes, who do you think you are to say no? When God has pronounced beauty and goodness, do you see where, do you see where I'm going, right? So this is why it's so important for us to recognize this gift, this is the horse he gave you to ride. Take care of it. Treasure it. Honor it. Do you see? We might have a triple crown winner in there. You never know. Right? So, so, so the, plat the body is not the problem. It's the platform. It's the only place you will ever meet God. This, by the way, is why the Christian doctrines of incarnation, God became flesh and dwelt among us. He was an embodied Savior. And resurrection, Jesus wasn't raised as spirit. He was raised as a body. You, likewise, will always 
have a body. This is really important. Heaven is not a place of disembodied spirits. You will always have a body. In order to be a soul, you need both components. You need a body. It will be uniquely suited for the kind of eternal life for which you're destined and built, but you will never be able to get away from the beauty of body. Thank God. Because that means you will only always and ever be you. So you need to start saying yes and thank you for the gift you have received in your body. Please notice how things pull away from this, how the distractions of our culture pull away from this, how much of our quote-unquote reality, unreality TV pushes against this, how all of our advertising and all of our, our, our culture, especially our pornographied culture, that sexualizes body in ways that are unspeakably damaging to it. Do, do you see? Think about, think about how things like eating disorders and body image, body, eating disorders are rarely about body image. They're often about um, uh, internalized anger or depression. They become more about power than they actually are about body image. Do you, see, do you see what happens? This gift God has given us, we train it against us. And it now becomes an enemy. And in fact, a lot of, uh, a lot of the cutting that I walk with people on is, is often a way of dismissing, setting aside, marginalizing, trying to exercise through pain a measure of control over what, that which pe persons believe is really doing them most harm. In fact, friends, it isn't the body that's the problem. It becomes the whipping boy of the soul where we internalize and then we externalize our places of pain. Does this make sense? So when Paul tells us your body is beautiful, presented as a sacrifice... We say, no, no. Or we've been told by our culture, if you're an athlete, if you're a model, if you're a this, if you're that, if you're a certain height, and please notice how ephemeral that is, right? How, how, how slippery beauty becomes if we make it about external if we make it about conforming to an external standard. Notice, for example, as well, how, how sexual sin, embodied sin, is in Scripture almost the most damaging of all kinds of sin because it affects us at the body level and we carry it with us. Pornography is not a victimless crime. It damages your soul. It changes your brain chemistry. And the culture says in our pornographied world, right, that desire is adequate rationale for anything. Please notice what we have done is we have made attraction identity. So whoever it is that I'm attracted to now becomes the mark of my identity. Do you see the damage that happens when we get the wheel off center like that? 
We just are going to wobble the rest of our lives. Because who you are attracted to is not your identity. Your gender is not your identity. You are the image of God before you are male and female, before you were attracted to someone. If you get this at the center, it's third, first button in third hole. Doesn't matter how well you button thereafter, you're going to end up wrong. If you make identity anchored on things for which it was never intended to be anchored, everybody's a loser. D does this make sense? So, so, so male and female, yes, but that's not who you are, not first. First, you are the image of God. First, you are the beloved in Christ. Now, out of that identity, we can negotiate sexuality. Do you see what happens if we get it wrong? And why body matters so much? Because it can be used against us. It becomes a major point of attack. Uh, 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 attack. It, it, it is used against uh, the soul. And particularly in this, in this uh, 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 business of conforming. How you all doing? You didn't expect this when you came this morning, I bet. Okay. I needed to do that so that when Paul now says, uh, present your bodies, we know what he's talking about. And we now are getting a sense of why this is important. So the first thing I'd like you to ask me to, to think with me about is how do we present our bodies not just in worship, I'll talk about that in a minute, but as worship. How do we present our bodies as worship? I'm just going to ask you to look with me at one small text back a few chapters in Romans chapter 6 where he says, don't let sin reign in your bodies. Don't let self-destruction, don't let soul suicide, because that's what sin is, Reign in your physical bodies. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Paul is here working on the idea that body either leads or follows. It is neutral in and of itself. The body is neither good nor bad, right? It is. And depending on what you yield it to, it becomes a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. So he is suggesting that part of offering, part of our presenting our bodies as worship is to offer our body not to sin, not to self-destruction, not to soul suicide, but to righteousness to peace, to joy, to choose what I do physically, where I go, what I do with this body, and let it become a platform of transformation rather than an enemy of my soul. How many know what he's talking about? Because most of our sin that gets us in, and, and please notice, the real damaging sin is not first embodied because we can deal with embodied sin fairly quickly, fairly soon. It's that when, when the body leads the way into unrighteousness, it soon ossifies and becomes internalized in attitudes and dispositions and prejudices 
and um, temperaments that are, are damaging way beyond the behavior. Does that make sense? Because Paul knows something. He knows something. He knows, he knows a lot of things. Uh, but the one thing that he, he, he's after here is that what you do behaviorally flows out of who you are. Does that make sense? Flows out of who you are. So, we want to address the behaviors often. We say that's the real point of contention. I don't like what happens when I get angry or I don't like how I objectify uh, men or women or relationships or I don't like how um, I'm, I'm so squirrely when it comes to capacity to tell the truth. So we build a dam to change behavior. The problem is the river of character still flows. And what's going to happen sooner or later is that the river of character will overwhelm the dam. It'll go an end run around, it'll go underneath it, it'll knock it over, it'll, it'll find another path. Does that make sense? So if you want to change the behavior, what's the best way to change the behavior? Change the character. So how do I change my character so that my behavior changes almost automatically? A different kind of doing changes character, changes the flow of doing that comes out of being. Is, that, is this making any sense? So these things up here are called spiritual disciplines. These are the practices that I do that over time cooperate with the Holy Spirit who's working to transform my character, my being, so that flowing out of that is a different pattern of doing and behavior. Right? So I can cooperate with him. And this is what he's saying. I want you to surrender yourselves, this body, to as an instrument of righteousness. It, it, it won't transform your soul, but it will cooperate with the Holy Spirit who is transforming your soul. And we'll talk a, a little bit more about that in worship here in just a second. But part of our offering then, part of our giving up on a daily basis, is to use our body, the only place in which you will ever meet God, as an instrument of righteousness. Because the truth is, the hardest place to ever be is where you are. Right? Most of us don't live in our bodies, we live around them. Even this morning. We're sitting here, your body is more or less stationary. But you're all over the map. Right? You're in a conversation yesterday. You're planning where you're going to go for lunch. Because Bon Me is now starting to sound really good. <laughs> what is that? Some of you have, during the service, Googled Bon Me. <laughs> B-A-H-N-M-I. And you now know where you're going for lunch. Isn't that interesting? And here I am, delivering the Word of God... But Jesus said, this is the way it's going to be. You're going to sow the seed. And sometimes people are paying attention. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're there in rough approximation of where their bodies are. And sometimes they're not. That's the way it is. So part of what presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, as an instrument of righteousness is, is choosing to be where you are. Remember the whole discipline of mindfulness that has started to gain traction in the last few years. 
is a powerful way of saying, let's learn to slow down enough to be where we are because that is the only place we will ever meet God. Right? Because the truth is, back on this, this whole business of sexualization for a minute, please notice what happens when the body is yielded as an instrument of sin, when we use it as a pattern of self-destruction. Notice how quickly shame begins attached to sexuality. I'm just using this as an example because sexual sin, as I mentioned before, is probably one of the most damaging ones in, in Scripture because it's whole being stuff. There's no such thing as a victimless crime when it comes to sexuality. What happens is that we now start to correlate sexuality, desire that is honest and honorable, part of being embodied persons, and we attach shame to it. Does that make sense? And when we do that, please notice, now the body, instead of being the gift God has given it to us to be, an expression of appropriate desire and affection, now becomes a way of soul self-destruction. So Paul says, guys, trust me on this one. Don't yield your physical bodies to practices of self-destruction. Find a way to stop doing that. And instead, give it over to righteousness, to the patterns of goodness. Learn how to behave, how to live. Do whatever you have to do to change the trajectory of your body. Because you will have discovered, if you haven't already, you will discover that it's easier to act yourself into a more accurate way of thinking than it is to think yourself into a better way of acting. Does that make sense? That's why when you're playing a football game, you don't want to be thinking of the pattern. It has to become muscle memory. It has to become embodied. When you're playing the piano, you don't want to be thinking of the notes, otherwise you're not making music. When you dance, you don't want to be thinking of the steps and the counts. You want to be dancing. You want to have a body that supports the beauty. Does that make sense? So Paul says, here's the strategy. Don't keep blowing yourself up in your body. Instead, yield it as instruments of righteousness. So that's the first thing. Present your bodies as worship to serve life rather than death. Now, how do I become the kind of person who can actually do that without thinking about it? Because that's what we're after, right? I want to be able to do this without having to think about it all the time. Because right now, my reaction is self-destruction almost always. Right? So Paul says, well, here's the strategy, and this is where we'll go back to Romans chapter 12. When you come to worship, Darren, can you flip me back to 12.1? Uh, uh, when you come to worship, I beg you on the basis of everything God has done. Remember, nothing happens when you sacrifice your body that has not already prepared the way. We don't sacrifice so that God is good. We sacrifice because God has been good. With me? And as a result of that, in that sacrifice of body in worship, we now cooperate with, what, with the goodness of God. 
So here's what it looks like. Our bodies now become the platform of encounter with God. So what happens in my body, with my body, as worship Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, is shaped by what I do with my body on Sunday. It's the muscle memory of thanksgiving. It's the muscle memory of receiving my life with, as a yes and with a thank you. Do you see? So that, so that my natural reaction when life happens is thanks, not why me. Now that's going to take us some time to train into. How many of you though know that life is going to happen? It's, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen in ways that you hadn't scheduled or planned. In fact, one classic definition of life is life is what happens when you had planned something else. Right? So how do I respond? How do I react with thanksgiving? Well, I got to train myself in thanksgiving so that when life happens, my natural reaction is thanksgiving. Guess where you learn how to do that? Here. It's called worship. And guess how you learn to train your body into a pattern of thanksgiving? You practice it here. This is kind of the CrossFit gym here on Sunday morning. We come here not so that we can get whipped into shape, but so that we can get recalibrated, so we can develop some muscle memory, so we have capacity for the marathon that begins at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Does, does that make sense? So we, so we, so we, 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 and notice how many of these words that we, we read through in scripture are embodied words. What do you intend to clap with but your body? What do you intend to sing with but your body? What do you intend to lift up but your head? What do you intend to kneel with but your knees? What do you intend to raise but your hands? These are embodied worship. And Paul says, surrender yourself. Get in the game. Don't sit on the sidelines. Show up. Be there. Participate. You see what he's saying to us? You don't get to decide to bench yourself when it comes to worship. God is good. Say thank you. Oh, and by the way, the vocal cords with which you say thank you, body. Do you see how this works? And, and the deeper you and more profoundly you begin to clap and dance and celebrate and sing and shout, that doing begins to shape our being. We become thankful people, not just people who give thanks. I am shaped by gratitude. So that when life happens, the natural response, having been shaped by the discipline of thanksgiving is thanksgiving. Does this make sense? So the movement and disposition of our body really matters. We want to develop the muscle memory of worship because this is the primary way we're going to push back against the spirit of conforming in our culture. We live in a culture of cynicism. We live in a culture of 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 of, of uh, uh, it's called the, I call it the Chandlerization of culture, but for those of you who don't remember Friends, you won't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but where everything becomes a punchline, everything becomes a, 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 a put down, everything becomes a dig. Yeah, gotcha. Rim shot, rim shot. We go through life. We need a drummer walking around behind us giving rim shots so everybody will know, oh, just JK, JK, 
JK. No. And, the, and by the way, the alternative to cynicism is not naivete. It's not clueless. It's present with gratitude. Do you see? How do I train myself in that kind of reactionary, revolutionary, redemptive, embodied presence? I take my hands out of my pockets on Sunday morning and I raise them. I uncross my arms. I stand up. I lift my head. I bow my knee. This is different than this. Is different than this. Is different than this. Pray with your body. Worship with your body. It's a gift. Say yes. Say thank you. And then give it over and give it up. It's what the table of the Lord is about. A little bit later on, towards the end of the service, we're going to invite you to the embodied presence symbolized in these elements. Aren't you glad for a Savior who knew what it was like to have a body? He was an embodied Savior. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.